of you like to read? I see that hand. It's good. Online, you can raise your hands too. We just won't see it or care. But no, I mean, you can go ahead and do that. That's great. Uh, maybe you've got, maybe you're like me. You've always got a book or several uh, and a stack to, to jump into when you're, uh, when you're done. I like to read on my uh, device so I can carry that whole stack with me and uh, jump into whatever I'm in the mood for. And sometimes it's for work or sometimes it's for, uh, for fun or sometimes it's uh, to learn this or that or about a specific thing or, or what. I mean, you're probably the same way. How many of you prefer? Maybe to watch a movie or TV instead of read. I see those hands. You're allowed to testify to that. That's okay. We're not, I'm not here to judge one way or the other or say which one's better than the other. Those, those book reader people tend to be a little judgy, right? You watch your people, right? You tend to feel a little judged. No, don't, 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 uh, no, no judgment here whatsoever. The only point I'm making is that we live in a world full of stories. Story, uh, is real. I mean, we, we, uh, we tell stories, we listen to stories, we live stories. Everybody loves a good story. They're engaging, they're entertaining, they're impactful, they're educational. They can make us pay attention and, and they can connect with our emotions uh, in so many, uh, so many ways more than a lot of other things can. And Jesus taught with stories parables. And so we're just a few weeks into our series, uh, the sum, A Summer of Stories, uh, where we're looking at a few of these parables, the uh, stories that Jesus told and the lessons that he told through them. Today's story is a little bit I don't controversial maybe isn't the right word confusing might be uh, uh, I, I don't know it's it's about uh, um, a, a guy that I don't know it's about money and stuff and a, and a guy that uh, how he handled the things that he'd been entrusted to manage and uh, uh, scholars have differed for years about uh, just what Jesus was teaching in this parable uh, there are about 40 parables in uh, in the the gospels and we're not going to be hitting all 40 of them in this series and um, maybe as I'm standing here right now maybe I'm rethinking that maybe this should have been the one, one of the ones that we skipped I don't know it's, a, it's just a little bit uh, it's a little bit uh, confusing or or hard to, anyway so we'll we'll dive into it here in just a second. It's the parable of the shrewd manager. Maybe your Bible version titles it the unjust steward or the dishonest manager. Uh, This one's interesting on a number of levels. One big thing is that Jesus doesn't just tell the story, but he gives some commentary on it. Uh, and and uh, he doesn't do that most of the time. Usually, he just lets those those parables stand on their own. And and uh, uh, but this one, along with a couple others, he uh, he gives some commentary, some teaching that goes along with it. And so today, I'm uh, we'll we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll jump right into it. It's in Luke chapter 16. If you want to follow along on your device or in your, your Bible, it'll also be up here uh, behind me. Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, Self? What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So, so he called in each of, one, each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 
900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are uh, the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's a lot there. So this guy is managing the finances of a rich man. And it appears that he's been, I guess we might call it, cooking the books, okay? He's, uh, he's, he's got his own accounting system. It's obvious here that he's using his master's resources for his own personal gain and enjoyment. He's, quote, wasting his possessions. And when the rich guy finds out, he decides to let the manager go, but he wants him to write up kind of a, a true account of, of, uh, of, of, of what, he actually, what the actual true uh, financial situation he's in. So before he, he leaves, he says, take some time and, and write this up for me. Give an accounting uh, and, uh, of this, this current financial situation before you go. So the crooked manager gets scared because he, he knows that he's uh, not probably going to get a job in the financial sector again, and, and he didn't want to do manual labor, and he didn't want to beg on the street, and so he had a short window of opportunity to better his position and to better his prospects because his boss wanted the accounting very soon and his contacts would dry up as soon as word got out of his crooked ways. So, so he had to do something fast. So, so he decided to use his opportunity and use his resources to secure something for himself in the future. And in reading uh, this story, I was actually reminded of another story, uh, the, the hit musical Hamilton where at one point Alexander Hamilton sings, I guess maybe raps, you can't, rapping isn't really singing, but anyway, I'm, I'm not throwing away my shot, hey, yo, I'm just, it loses a little bit, doesn't it, when I'm just reading it, isn't it, it's good, I, I like that, hey, yo, I'm just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not, and I'm not throwing away my shot. Some of you will be singing that in your heads for the rest of the hour. The, the manager here had a small window to, to shoot his shot, so to speak, right? To, to, to try to better his position down the road. He appears to be pretty scrappy and hungry. So he's, he started contacting the people that owed his master money and he started discounting what they owed so he'd be in good favor with them. Oh, you owe my master 800 gallons of olive oil? It's a special today. It's half off, half off. Oh, a thousand bushels of wheat? Well, well, wheat is 20% off today. And, and, and the debtors were delighted, of course, and probably responded, yeah, hey, if there's anything we can do for you down the road, just let us know. To which this manager probably would have said, you know, as a matter of fact, let's talk. 
So up to this point, kind of a weird story, but up to this point, the, the people gathered around Jesus listening to him tell this story, they probably knew here where he's going with this. Jesus is going to condemn this manager for being dishonest, and, and he's going to teach a lesson about not cheating in life and business. It was a natural place for a lesson on ethics and finances, and so that's what uh, these folks are probably thinking in their heads, but this is where it gets a little confusing, right? This is the twist that we're, we're starting to look for in these stories because each one of these parables seems to set up something that's, that's plausible and then there's this big twist where it turns it all on its head. Here's the twist. Jesus continues the story and he says the master commends the manager for being so conniving and shrewd. I mean, he's, he still fires him, but he's, still, he's kind of impressed. It's almost like he's saying, yeah, yeah well played. I, I get it. I respect. Well played. And, and, and if, that, if that wasn't confusing en- enough, Jesus went on then in his commentary here to, to say to his followers, to say to the, the people of light that they could learn a thing or two from this shrewd manager. He's held up as an example to follow. So, I mean, we've got to kind of unpack this to see what's going on. First off, we need to recognize that Jesus is not condoning dishonesty in business. Some of you were ready to get up and go and do that shady thing that you, uh, you were tempted to do, but you decided not to, but now it looks like Jesus is saying, go for it. Well, that's not, no, that's not the, uh, the, the story here. Jesus is not condoning dishonesty in business. He, what he is condoning is shrewdness. So we need to figure out what that's all about. We, we usually see uh, someone that is shrewd. We might have, we'll look at that negatively, right? It's a, it's a negative thing. But, but the word shrewd in, in Greek used here uh, just means to act with foresight. It's, it's looking ahead and being prepared. It's, it's shrewdness, wisdom, foresight that Jesus is promoting here. And in essence, he's telling his followers, you know what? You guys aren't very shrewd most of the time. He, he says that, that we should use, quote, worldly wealth for our advantage. So Jesus is saying many people in the world, outside the church, they're, they're pretty good at using what they have to position themselves to get what they want to get out of life, right? And, and they don't even believe in eternity. They're just, they're just uh, doing that in order to get what they want out of life. So how much more should the followers of God, the people of the light, who believe that there is e- an eternity in heaven after this life, how much more should we be preparing ourselves for the eternity that is to come? In essence, we need to be asking ourselves, like this, this, uh, this shrewd manager did, how can I use this opportunity? This, this little bit of time, this life that I've been given, how can I use this, this little bit of time and these resources that I'm managing to prepare for what's to come? As Jesus unpacks this for his disciples and for us, uh, th- I think there are at least three ways here that we need to, to view our, our resources in this life. And, and, uh, and I think Jesus is, uh, is, is declaring these things uh, pretty clearly through this story. The first is that everything that I have is a tool. All of our money, all of our stuff, it's temporary, right? We can't take it with us. It's just a tool to use while we're here. Uh, Many of you have probably heard of Ann Landers back in the days of newspapers. Uh, Ann Landers had this column people would write in, right, and they'd tell stories and, and uh, what it, well, well, Ann Landers had an interesting letter 
in, uh, in, in her column years ago. It was from a girl who was writing about her uncle and aunt. And she wrote that, she said, my uncle was the tightest man I have ever known. All his life, every time he got paid, he took $20 out of his paycheck and put it under his mattress. Then he got sick and he was about to die. And as he was dying, he said to his wife, I want you to promise me one thing. Uh, Promise what, she asked. I want you to promise me that when I'm dead, you'll take my money from under the mattress and put it in my casket so that I can take it all with me. The girl went on to write that her uncle did indeed die and her aunt did indeed keep her promise. She gathered up all that money from under the mattress, all those $20 bills, and the day, she, the day he died and she went to the bank and deposited it and then she wrote a check and she stuck that in the casket. <laughs> keeping, keeping her promise. You can't take it with you, right? Uh, all our money and the stuff that we accumulate is, is temporary. So Jesus says if we're going to be wise, if we're going to be shrewd, we have to ask ourselves, how can I use this temporary stuff as tools for eternity? Money isn't evil, but it does lead there sometimes, and it seems to get a grip on us, and, and we want more and more of it for ourselves a lot of the time. Jesus wants us to use it, this worldly wealth, to, as he says in Matthew 6, store up treasure in heaven, right? Or, or Paul wrote to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6, uh, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we do that, when we store up treasure in heaven, when we use uh, the, the resources we've been giving here, given here as tools to, uh, to invest in things that are eternal, we're using that, uh, uh, what, what we have that's temporary to invest in what's not. What would happen if you looked at your money and your possessions through, through that lens? What would happen if, if uh, you looked at the, the money that you made and everything that you owned and asked, well, hmm, how can I use this for eternal purposes? I don't know, a few, few things uh, crossed my mind, just a, a couple of examples. Uh, how can you, your car, how could you use your car for eternal purposes? purposes well we could have a show of hands and a few of you'd have some ideas maybe you'd pick people up for church or you'd you'd loan it to somebody who needed one or or maybe you'd sell it and give the money to a a, 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 a an organization that was investing in in uh, in in eternal things in things that are helping uh helping spread the word of of god how can you use your things as tools for, for eternal purpose. Your home, how can you use your, uh, maybe you can host people for dinner, maybe you can have a neighborhood cookout and, and uh, get to know your neighbors or, or uh, uh, have an opportunity to uh, uh, maybe host a growth group in your, in your house. The list goes on and on. Your phone, how can you use your phone for eternal purposes? I think we probably use them for not so eternal purposes a lot of the times. The messages that you send, uh, the, the people that you connect with, the things that you post, uh, what, how can you do that with eternity in mind, right? I mean, or we can just look for, get the high score on Candy Crush, and, that, and that's probably eternal, right? 
whole host of things, and uh, it's going to be uh, the very personal and specific to your situation. So, so my encouragement to you as uh, one practical thing to do from this story to be shrewd in, in uh, using the tools that God has given us, pray for God's direction in this. God, how do you want me to use what I have, this little bit of time and these resources that you've entrusted to me to manage? How can I, how can I use that for, with eternal purposes? Being shrewd changes how we use what we have. Everything is a tool that God can use. Everything also we see here is a bit of a test. Uh, this guy in the story was just a manager, right? He didn't own the business. He, had, he was merely entrusted to run it. Uh, we get into trouble when we start to claim ownership over the resources in our lives. Our resources and the the time that we have to use them are all given to us by God. So how we use them is a test of our character and our responsibility. In Jesus' explanation in verses 10 through 12, he says that we won't be given more until we're faithfully shrewd with what we have. Uh, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? We we do this with our kids all the time, right? We, We trust them with a little bit, and as they prove able and responsible, then we trust them with a little bit more, and we're hoping that they're growing and developing and and maturing. I mean, at some point, they move from the bottle to the sippy cup, up and then when we feel like they're handling the, uh, the, the sippy cup well and there's not going to be too many spills, we, uh, we, we take that lid off, we, we give them a real cup and over time, you know, we don't want our 20-year-old still on the sippy cup, right? We, we entrust, as they prove trustworthy with, uh, with a little bit, we give them more. Uh, kids go from diapers to pull-ups and when we can trust them not to have an accident, we, we, uh, we get rid of the pull-ups. You don't give your five-year-old a key to the, the keys to the car. Maybe they start out with a tricycle and they move up to a scooter and maybe there's a bike with training wheels and then at some point the training wheels come off and, and over time as they not just uh, prove themselves trustworthy with, with uh, handling a vehicle but prove themselves trustworthy in, in decision making, right? Uh, then, uh, then they pass the tests and do all the training and all the things then maybe at some point they get the keys to the car. They're, they're uh, trusted with a little and then as they prove trustworthy uh, they get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more when we receive resources and blessings from God they're not just for us Uh, they're meant to be used for others to be invested in the kingdom one big thing that is eternal if we're investing in eternal things one big thing that is eternal is our soul the souls of people if we're investing in other people and and their eternity we're we're investing in in uh in eternal things we're we're here uh not just to be blessed for ourselves oh i'm blessed hashtag blessed posted on my instagram right but um but i'm not just blessed for me i'm blessed to be a blessing and i'm i'm using those resources to, uh, to, to serve others, to invest for kingdom good. When we do that, we use a little bit of opportunity and the little bit of resources we've been entrusted to manage. It's, it's almost like a, it's a test of our, of our character and our trustworthiness. And when we prove faithful with that, we're, we can, we'll be entrusted with more. The third thing I think uh, this, this says is that uh, what I do with what I have is a trademark. 
a trademark shows ownership, right? That little TM, you see that next to a logo somewhere, you know that that is an official licensed product or official licensed message of, of whatever that logo stands for. It's not to be copied, it's not to be misused. Anything with that logo belongs to that brand. Many of you know that, um, that my son, Nick, has a, uh, has a job at the clothing warehouse here in Medina. He's worked there for, man, forever. No, I think four and a half years or something. And, and they, uh, man, they have discounted clothes and a whole lot of other stuff. Can we say, should we say that? There's just a lot of stuff in that store. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like overstocks and it's a uh, damaged box and it's, uh, it's Amazon returns. And, and uh, you know, right now, if you want a great deal on toilet paper, I mean, it's stacked to the ceiling in multiple places. I was just in there yesterday. I mean, it's amazing. I'm, they don't pay me for that. I'm just, just laying it out there. And if, if you want to, uh, you know, we can sponsor the sermon, have a little clothing warehouse message on the, no. You never know what you're going to, literally, literally this weekend, if you go into the clothing warehouse and you find any clothing that is red, white, or blue, it's 75% off. So this is the place, this is the kind of, and some of you are planning your trip this afternoon, I can see. So, so you never know, and you'll have, they'll have a bin that's just marked whatever, well we walked, in, this was a while back, we went in and they had a whole bin, a whole bunch of hats, and it said, all hats, 50 cents. I mean, come on. Let's, uh, a lot of times it's like 52 of the same hat, right? So you're not going to like load up on a lot, but all hats, 50 cent, they had name brand and, and a lot of them are like team hats, you know, they have the official logo of the NBA right there on them, you know, and they got the little s- silver circle on there and, uh, you know, the, the price tag is like uh, 30 bucks and you'd never pay 30 bucks for a hat, but, but I mean, for 50 cents, I can become a fan of the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes, I am. I am there, 50 cents. So I mentioned the Memphis Grizzlies because that's the hat that they had. And, and it was navy blue, and it has this uh, logo, cool logo of a grizzly bear. Uh, and uh, it looked pretty cool. And I, oh, that's a cool hat. Oh, 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 there's a team called the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay, yeah, sure, I can, I can do that. And, and, and so then I noticed... Not only did it have that logo there, front and back, but, but it also had a, a little embroidered name, team name on the, uh, on the bill. I actually have the hat with me. So, um, so there's the hat. There's the Memphis Grizzly. Those of you online, there you go. See? And, um, and so then I looked at the bill, and it says Pelicans right there. Pelicans. Pelicans. Um, there is a team in, um, in New Orleans called the Pelicans. They play basketball. Uh, there's a team in Memphis called the Grizzlies, and they play basketball. And um, anyone wearing this hat would wonder who your, uh, who your team is, right? I, I bought the hat. I probably shouldn't continue preaching in this, but uh, I bought it. Fits great, right? It's good, good, sporting, whatever. I've never worn a hat in public because I'm I'm just a, I'm embarrassed, right? To to who are you rooting for? What is what? I don't I don't. It's, it's, what's the problem? Well, the the logo, the trademark, is supposed to clearly communicate. Here, I'll I'll put it right there. There we go. 
It's supposed to clearly communicate whose team I'm rooting for. It's supposed to show where my allegiance lies. I wear a team hat in order to show everyone that team is my team. And we're, yeah, I'm behind them 100%. But someone wearing this hat is going to be giving out mixed signals, right? Verse 13 tells us that the, the way we use our resources is like a trademark. It shows who or what we serve, who we belong to, where our allegiance lies. We cannot serve both God and money any more than I can root for the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Orleans Pelicans at the same time. The way we use our resources is a trademark of who or what we belong to. It reveals who we're serving As someone once said, either God owns your wealth or it owns you. And so in telling this story, uh, Jesus was, was, uh, was, was saying being shrewd with, with what we have and investing that in eternal purposes shows who you belong to. What we do with, with what we have is a trademark showing who or what we're serving. And it's a, it's a test to see if we can be entrusted with more because all the things that we have in this life are, are just tools to be used for eternity. You have been given a little bit of time and some resources. Are you being shrewd with yours, preparing for eternity? A guy by the name of Oskar Schindler was a German industrialist who, who was credited with saving the lives of over a thousand Jews during the Holocaust. Schindler joined the, the, the military intelligence service of Nazi Germany in 1936. He was a member of the Nazi party working in Poland before the German invasion and occupation at the start of World War II. He then acquired an enamelware factory in Krakow where over half of his employees were Jewish. And his connections in the Nazi party helped him protect his Jewish workers from being taken to the concentration camps. He would give the Nazi officials bribes and and gifts of luxury items in, in order to keep his workers safe. And he was able to get many of them out of the country, saving them from certain death in the gas chambers. Oskar Schindler spent virtually his entire fortune on bribes and black market purchases in his life-saving efforts. After his death in 1974 to honor his legacy, Oskar Schindler was buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, the only former member of the Nazi party to be honored in that way. Maybe you've seen the, uh, the, the movie, uh, 1993 movie uh, directed by Spielberg, Schindler's List. Uh, details Oscar Schindler's life-saving efforts there there's a sobering scene at the end I want us to watch it here in just a second where where the Jewish workers are are sending Schindler away so we won't get caught and and as we watch this you'll you'll see that that Schindler I think seems to have understood the importance of being shrewd with his little bit of opportunity and the resources that he'd been given Schindler's I could have done more let's watch this
Hebrew from the Talmud. It says, whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Ha, 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 ha. 